Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right. Episode 130. Feels like a milestone, but it's just another number. But uh, we got an awesome episode today. We're going to talk about uh, dispatching process or processes, however you want to say it. Um, things to make yourself sharper and better when it comes to, to moving freight and working with carriers. We've um, we've recently had this discussion with a bunch of folks about kind of what their you know issues are running into, and a lot of it stems from just proper SOPs when it comes to your dispatch process. So I'm looking forward to it. We got a nice little Q and A section here too. We'll dig into it at the end. Um, but first, welcome back to Freight 360. If you are brand new to us, we're so glad you found us. Keep sharing us with your friends and colleagues. This channel and just this platform in general in our community has grown leaps and bounds, Ben. It's good stuff, man. It has. Moving in the right direction. I'm anxious to dig into this topic. Um, I think, you know, we've done a couple coaching sessions on this this week, and it really just brought to light some things that we can do and set them up and turn them into kind of like business habits, right? Yep. Which is just another word for a process that will eliminate a lot of things that are issues that are created a little bit later down the line. Yep, exactly. So I'm gonna give a quick run by the sports realm here. The MLB is currently uh, just battling a lockout here, man. It's the, the Players Association and the Players Can't, um, or the League and the Players Association, I guess that's their union, right? can't agree on they had like some salary requests i think for both the minor league and major league i haven't followed it too much but basically spring training is not happening right now and now the first two series of the actual season which we're supposed to start right at the talent of this month are uh not happening so it's crazy I will say what's nice is MLB.tv, the subscription that I have where I can watch all of the out-of-network games because I'm mm-hmm. a Red Sox fan that lives in New York. Um, they didn't charge me to renew it this year. They're waiting to find out what happened. So at least they, they did the right thing and didn't steal everyone's $100 yeah. for the year. That's <laughs> a bonus. If it did. But. No, it wouldn't surprise me either. What uh, You got anything on, on the golf realm? Starting again. No, some, I mean there was a there was a pretty good finish at the Honda Classic. To be honest, I really didn't catch it. I know it ended up being a great day of golf, at least from what I caught. I, one of the local guys, Burger, was like five under, but lost his lead within the first five or six holes, Ooh. and then didn't end up pulling it off. But off the top of my head, I couldn't even tell you who won because we have been spending most of our time just following what's been going on with Ukraine. So shout out to any of our listeners or friends and family that are in Ukraine. We, we do um, have a listening audience in Ukraine. I, I remember checking our SoundCloud stats, and um, Ukraine is like one of the top. So I think our top um, countries is United States, obviously, and then um, Colombia, Ukraine, Canada, Mexico. Um, there's a big brokerage presence in Ukraine. Landstar has a massive agency based out of Miami that actually had uh, hundreds of people in Ukraine, and they had to shut it down. Freightwaves reported that one, and I uh, yep. I kind of expected that was going to happen. It's just crazy. So the the world is standing behind Ukraine, and um, we're 
we're hoping for the best and sending our, our best vibe. So shout out to it is. our community over there. It's been strange. I mean, you know, my wife grew up in Odessa, so like my sister-in-law, brother-in-law, like nieces, like talking to them on a daily basis, just getting updates and, you know, just wish them all the best over there. Is that They're the pulling ahead on the south? Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. All right, we'll stay tuned and see see how that pans out and what what comes of it, but uh, we're we're praying for you guys. All right, let's give a shout-out to our friends at DAT before we get into this episode topic today. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. With the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. And you can support us at Freight360 if you have not already signed up for DAT with a free month of Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge through a link in the show notes. Absolutely. Help your boys out. Um, good stuff. And I, you know what's interesting? Um, did you see, I know we were looking at it earlier today, rate view from DAT did you know they had that predictive thing in there I didn't I did not and they're changing it and there was a new view and I did notice that I've been using the old view for quite some time yeah so they're um, they have clearly been doing a lot of upgrades to their stuff obviously we've got some uh, got some connections with the folks over there and I think like any other tech company, they know that if they don't continue to uh, improve and add new features, that they'll be you know by the wayside in years to come. But they're they're you know they're obviously a leader in the industry, and people are always bitching like God, oh, Dat's down again. It's like yeah, I can tell you I've had uh, I've never had a perfect software company or tech company. They've all got their their struggles. So, but yeah, yeah. Um, so here's why I love today's topic. Um, we've talked about it a lot recently with you know our with the folks that follow Freight 360, but in you know my my normal day job, man. For example, I'm training somebody new today on on um, how to use our system because they're new to the company, and there you know depending on the TMS you use, there might be some required fields when you're dispatching a driver or dispatching a you know a load in general. But there's a lot of optional things that people don't always use that. Can, prevent so many headaches when it comes to dispatching so let me ask you this in your in your younger days in brokerage did you have like a dispatching checklist or something that you would go through to force yourself to you know cross this bridge check off that item and and whatnot or how did that look well yes there were there i mean there were systems and processes that we were i mean forced to follow and there were repercussions if we didn't because internally the brokerage set it up so in a way that like if things are done on a you know consecutive manner like it does prevent issues and yeah it is frustrating when you're having to learn it and you feel like why are all these necessary do i need to do all these extra steps the reality was now in hindsight like there weren't really many unnecessary steps in fact every step that was in that process had a purpose yep and was put in place to prevent some other issue that was likely or going to happen down the line so that you could catch it earlier not after the fact yeah so and i've heard people say 
they've told me like I'm not wasting my time filling all this in and it's like okay mm-hmm. for the one time you wish you had put that truck or trailer number in or that driver's cell phone and you didn't and it caused you 16 hours of headache and you could have spent five seconds to do it that is why it's worth it right so a company I worked for in the past it was required. today by the way by the way still that habit right on there where the truck and Not trailer numbers YouTube, the driver yeah, numbers holding up a notepad right there I'm a notepad guy myself man I got mine right here it's but it's funny handy. To your point, right? Like, I'm just so ingrained in that habit that's the first thing I ask for. Like, if I'm going to get this, you're going to give me that, right? Like, and I always just am in this habit of I need the truck number, I need the trailer number, I need the driver's phone number, I need the email address, and I need the dispatcher's email address. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so the company I worked for in the past, we, it, they were required fields. You had to have driver's um, name, email, phone number, an alternate phone number, truck, and trailer number, and also the city from which they were um, starting. So like, say they're picking up in Chicago, right? Yep. Well, are they originating in Des Plaines or you know Milwaukee or whatever, right? We wanted to know that because that, you know, stuff comes up when it comes to like tone news. So important, yes. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, just the last one you pointed out, because it's, again, that's the other question that I'm in the habit of asking still to this day, you know, half a dozen years later, right, is the first question I ask him is when and where is it going to be empty, right? Because guess where the the likely issue that is going to prevent him from picking up your load? Where's that going to start? That's where it's going to start. Yep. So you first need to know is, okay, how far from where you're leaving to where you're going to meet to start work on my load are you, right? Yep. And it, it really is kind of common away. sense. It be 150 miles away. Sometimes there's 200, yeah. right? And it's not saying that you shouldn't book a truck that is farther away from your pickup. Why it's relevant is like you need to know as you're check calling and making sure, hey, is this guy empty? Okay, well, now that he's empty, now how far away is he from reaching my pickup, right, and starting work on my contract? Well, if he's a three-hour drive, a three-and-a-half-hour drive, now all of a sudden time is very, very valuable if he's being backed up getting his truck unloaded at his drop. Yep. So I guess the – I mean, we just kind of dove right into it, but having a clear process or SOP in place of how you dispatch – is extremely important. And here's here's what's difficult. Not everyone was trained on how to broker at a bigger company that has a solid training program, right? Some some folks, especially lately, they go out, they get licensed, and they scratch and claw until they get customers and freight and you know build a carrier network. And they're kind of learning on the fly. So the the point of this conversation is let's talk through what this process can look like to set you up for success. And we just kind of outlined it as having a checklist, right? You don't have to make some fancy form that looks all pretty and everything like that, but you should have, you should identify the things that you need to go through for you and your customers and your company, your organization and your team members that everyone should be following whenever you're dispatching a driver, okay? And we just named a bunch of data points. Let's talk about why they're important, okay? Um, You will often book a load with the dispatcher. Okay, so you may not have the drop the specific driver's information right away, and that's fine when you book it. But when that driver is headed to your pickup, 
you should be able to get that information by then. Because a dispatcher might say, I got four guys, um, I'll be able to get one of them on this tomorrow, right? You don't know which one it is yet, guys or gals, sorry. But um, you need to have that information before this, before this driver mm-hmm. heads in that direction. And here's what else is important, right? Because when you say head in that direction, one of the lines that they draw in the processes per se at the bigger companies is that like that's literally where they become working on your load, right? Like yep. they are gonna complete the load they were on for some other broker, other shipper, their company, whatever. As soon as they are done with that load, they are now you know either en route to your shipment or on your shipment, right? Depending on how far away they are, right? So there are a lot of things that happen even in that first step. So the first is why you would ask for the things you outlined before, you know, driver's name, truck number, trailer number, driver's phone number, driver email, right? Like why would you ask for all those things? Why do you need them as a broker, right? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say one of the things is, yes, you have the likely scenario that a dispatcher has a bunch of trucks that may make it to that load. That's not uncommon. But guess what else is also kind of common based on where you're booking your load out of? And we've seen a lot of reports in Southern California where you've got a lot of people double brokering or fraudulently brokering loads. So the number one reason why somebody says, I don't have this information is because they're literally taking off this load to double broker it, to send another carrier in, and then we can't vet any of that carrier's information. Their MC, their insurance, whether or not they meet our procurement requirements. And that is a very big risk to every brokerage. And this helps mitigate that to some degree. Let me, and let me reiterate this and clarify. When you first book a carrier on a load, let's say it's for tomorrow, it is okay if you don't necessarily have the driver's name and truck and trailer number, because the dispatcher might not know yet. But at the point when a driver is going to be headed in your location to pick up, or your customer's location to pick up the load, you absolutely need to have that information. And when you ask for it and you tell them you cannot give them the pickup address until you get that information, that will stop probably 95, if not higher, percent of double brokers. Yep. And here's what it also prevent. It'll also prevent you from being told that you have a truck headed this way and then your shipper calling you an hour after it was supposed to pick up and saying, nobody showed up. And then you're like, well, what do you mean? Like, I don't know. I booked this guy. I talked to him. Like, how did a truck not show up? Right. Well, that's one of the problems this prevents. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Um, another thing, too. So you know, name, phone, email, truck and shower number. So this is another reason why I think this is important. Okay, and this is more applicable for the folks that work in a, um, a team setting where maybe they're not the, you know, somebody else might assist on that load for them. Think about this, you book a, you book a load um, for tomorrow morning, you have the truck and trailer number, the driver's headed there tonight, and they're gonna, re- they're gonna do their 10 hour reset and, um, you know, pick up in the morning and, and start driving. Let's say you're sick that next day, or your kid has an emergency and you can't go to work. Right. Someone else in your organization is going to have access to your TMS and they're going to be able to pick up where you left off because you left or you input the proper information there. They can let your customer know, hey, I've got John from um, ABC Express that's going to be showing up um, at eight o'clock. Right. Um, here, here's all, I have all the information. Right. It, it can just prevent it helps you prevent the. Um, the issues that could potentially happen. Now, like I said before, 
you know, they very rarely happen, right? The majority of times you're handling your own load. But that one time that something goes wrong, because you set yourself up to prevent huge issues, you're going to thank yourself and prevent like hours and hours of, of headaches and backpedaling. So this stuff is super important. And here, and here's another another like you know objective reason to do some of these things of having a process, right? Is and this is one thing I noticed when I left working at a big Brox brokerage and I started working with different TMSs is they have the ability to send a rate con without the physical address before dispatch. Yep. So what does that mean and why does that matter? So first off is they send out the terms. It's picking up from this city, this zip, to this city, this zip. Here's the load details, but it doesn't have the exact physical address or information to actually get to the shipper, right? Yep. So like the value that provides, right, is it allows you to secure the carrier. It allows you to secure the truck and say, hey, we are committed to this load, right? But what they do is they, you know, displace the two processes and make them two separate ones. The second process is formally dispatching. So they do not give the physical address, does not get sent to the driver or the dispatcher until one very important thing happens. To your point, it's the question we need answered from earlier. Is your driver empty and rolling to my shipment? Or is he still at that one, right? Because now that I know where he's leaving, I know his ETA, and the only thing that could happen is a truck breakdown, a flat tire, but he's not still gonna be- Right, normal stuff and just commuting. But the reality is, is like, I have retained control because the, the minute you give them the delivery address, they don't need you. And as soon as you send that, they can do whatever they want. They can show up if they want. They can not tell you. They can do anything that they want. They could double broker. They could back solicit and try to get it themselves at a cheaper rate. Um, they could find out, oh, it's this place. Nope, I'm not going there. Uh, which you, you should have that conversation beforehand if there's an a intricate situation there. But yes, you maintain positive control of that situation until um, you know until you're ready to, to, to give that information out. And again, this is not to be a... a power or control freak by any means. This is to protect your business. Now, when you get to a point when you have regular carriers, right? Totally different story. Because they already know. Yes. They're running it every week. Right. But a, a brand new carrier, it's like a brand new broker for a customer, right? They're going to be very, very careful until they establish rapport and trust and that relationship um, blooms into something that's um, continuous. So... Right, and something where, like, yeah, you've got a likely understanding, you know, but, like, I think there really is a lot of value in separating those early on because what it does is it prevents a lot of the issues that we hear eat up with broker's day, right? Like, when we talk to people and they go, well, I don't have time to prospect. Oh, I don't have time to get new business. I don't have time to get to this, right? Well, most of the time's being eaten up by things that could have been prevented, right? And the only way they're going to get prevented is if you put in place a process and a system that is kind of like a fence, and no, it doesn't prevent it from happening, but it does at least give you the information long before it gets blown up in your face and your shipper's screaming at you going, where's my driver? Where's the truck you said it was supposed to be there, right? Yep. So let's talk about some of the other things you're going to cover in this this dispatching process, kind of like this mental checklist or physical checklist if you have it written out, right? Um, there are some things that may sound obvious, right? And there's some other ones that aren't so obvious. So like obvious, right? equipment type right this is a yeah. this is a flatbed load right do you have a you have a 48 foot flatbed because um, here's here's some here's the issue you might run into from time to time 
is a carrier that's like, oh, it's only 20 feet. I'm going to try to partial it out, right? And, you know, not tell the broker. And um, this this kind of stuff, you, you can run into this and you need to be very clear about the amount of weight on the trailer or the amount of weight it's going to, uh, and weight and space it's going to take on a trailer. And also, um, if you expect to have a dedicated truck and it's not a partial, you need to make that very, very clear so that ca- there's no like gray area where the carrier thinks, oh, I can toss a two pallet shipment on there next to it. So right there, and here's one of the questions that we asked, and I still am in the habit of asking. When I say, hey, have you finished your last delivery? Are you en route and rolling to my pickup? Yes, okay. The next question I ask, again, is by habit is, is your trailer completely empty and clear? And then waiting for them to confirm that, right? Because now, if you're recording your calls, like you also now have factual, like objective evidence that they said this. So what it does is it eliminates this ambiguity and this gray area of when they arrived to your shipper. And if anybody's run more than a couple dozen shipments in their in their history, have run into this problem where, to your point, the truck shows up and goes, well, I thought I could have just fit this on my van. Well, we're paying and contracting for your entire trailer, not a portion of it. And when I asked you whether or not your truck was empty and clear, you said clearly yes. So now I don't pay that guy a tonu. Why? Because I have set up a little fence to make sure I catch that BS before he arrives and yep. tries to make it seem like it's my fault and that I wasn't clear in what I was paying for or asking for. Yep. So other obvious questions we want to go through. Um, PPE, right? Or mm-hmm. any kind of securing thing. So do you have, is there dunnage? Is there... Um, the you have straps do you have tarps do you have the right size tarps because um, you could have four foot eight foot 12 foot right um, do you have pipe stakes do you have I mean the, the list goes on and on and on um, if it's a van do you have the um, what are they called the bars that go across um, yeah they, they have e-tracks and vans yeah, you could have, have air chutes and pipe. reefers yeah, yep. air chutes and reefers, whether it's continuous or non-continuous, making sure that, like you said, you have the right PPE, the right, do you have the right type of boots to go on this property? Do you have an orange vest? Do you have a helmet? Like based on where you're going and whatever your shipper tells you is important to them should be on your list. Yep. Because an easy way to remember what questions you should ask are, what are the most likely things that go wrong? And the biggest issues that a driver is gonna tell you he didn't know and now it's your fault and you've got to pay him, right? Because they're gonna arrive and always make it seem like it's the broker's fault. Oh, well you didn't tell me I needed PP&E, you didn't tell me I needed chains, pipe stakes, a four foot tarp, an eight foot tarp, and then they're gonna try to put that onus on you. So you brought up the reefer side of it too when you talked about the reefer unit cycling versus continuous, right? This is huge. If a, because reefer, right? They're just a van that has a, a temperature-controlled unit attached to the front of it, right? It holds 50 gallons of, of uh, fuel. Um, so I'm going to break this down and not get too detailed on it, but it takes time to cool that that van or mm-hmm. that trailer down. If they were not hauling a temperature-controlled shipment on their last delivery, that thing's not even turned on. So if it's 85 degrees in the middle of the summertime, they got to crank that thing up and get it cooling down so it's at the right temperature when that shipment gets loaded on there to prevent any kind of claims, right? 
Um, cycling versus continuous, right? If it's a frozen shipment, it could be on cycling, where yes, it'll it'll kick on when it gets close to freezing or to the you know 32, and then it'll it'll bump it down 10 degrees and it'll shut off, right? It kind of saves on gas. Um, if you're running something at like 40 degrees, it's got to be on continuous, right? It's got to stay within a couple degrees of where it's at and not turn on and turn off and all that stuff. And also, hey, is your um, is your gas tank full in the reefer unit, right? Because that's 50 gallons right there. That's thing. It's not going to run. If you got five gallons in there, it's not going to run the whole time. These are just little little things that if you're doing reefer, these are not the so obvious ones. These are more like write this stuff down until it becomes a muscle memory for you. You've got to think about that stuff. And I think here's a really good way to remember these, right? If your power went out and your refrigerator door was open while your power's out, like how long do you think it would be before your refrigerator is the same temperature you expect it to be, right? It would take a few hours. Now imagine your refrigerator is the size of a tractor trailer and imagine how long it would take to get all of that space, right? All 48 or 53 foot of it cool down to a temperature commensurate with your refrigerator. It's going to take more than 15 minutes. It's a bigger cooling window or a bigger cooling device. But yes, it doesn't, it's not instant. It takes a while. So that's why these guys, they got to, they got to crank that thing onto the right temperature when they're in route. So it is at the right temperature when they get there. And Um, and I think the reality is, and I wanted to point something out, like not everybody's like trying to like get something over on somebody. And I don't want to imply that like carriers are honestly trying to like not do what they should. But in honesty, like everybody has their incentives and a truck driver is trying to go move loads and get to the next load. So it is easy for them to go, yeah, 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 I'll get to it. And then honestly, sometimes forget to your point, like to start the reefer unit before they arrive at your shipper so that it is at least a temperature close enough that when you put the cargo in, it doesn't it doesn't have to drop, you know, whatever it is to your point, like 50, 60 degrees in the next hour or so. Right. So like, these are the things that like when you send a load and just because you tell the dispatcher, when you book the load, Hey, the temperature should be at 55 at pickup. Like there's a reason you should reiterate it. There's a reason you should have a process in place that before you send this guy officially on your load, you make sure you confirm these things and ask them, Hey, what is your temperature reading? Where do you have it at? Is it on continuous? Is it on cycling? Okay, you're good to go. We'll see you there, let me know when you're at there. If you have any issues on your way there, let me know. But then now you've got clear understanding of whether or not the requirements will be met and you've eliminated the problem of having to deal with that once the guy's on site and has some other product in there or hasn't done this and then you've got to justify to your shipper why the carrier, because they're a representation of you, the broker. You're sending this guy to go on behalf of your organization. He works for you. You are responsible for whether or not he does this or not. Don't assume that these things are going to happen because we all know what happens when we assume. (laughs) (laughs) I'm making ass out of you and me. I like that one. So I want to talk about um, hours, okay, and sleep because this is – we had this conversation with Dean Croak from DAT Mm -hmm. about a year ago, and I I, I absolutely love how he incorporates this into – the recommended conversation a broker has. Like, hey, you know, how'd you sleep? How are you feeling? You're tired, you, you feel alert, all that stuff, right? Um, take it a step back, right? You need to understand where they are, where they are for their hours for the day, and also where they are for their hours in the week, right? And this is basic education that you need to understand as a broker, right? This is 101. 11 hours driving in a 14 hour window in a day, okay? Um, 
is it uh, 60, 70 hours in a week? Man, I feel like I'm an idiot right now. 70 hours in a um, in a week before they require a 34-hour reset. reset. Okay? Um, there are things like um, agricultural exemption, right? If you're in a certain radius of you know, if you're hauling something, right, you get so many free miles before you have to turn your logs on, right? There, there are things that go along with uh, different shipments and um, drivers that you need to be aware of because, hey, say your driver's fresh on hours. Say they're fresh on hours for the week. If they didn't get good sleep last night, that's a safety concern. It's a huge hazard. So, Well, and I think I, I actually wanted to pull up what these specifics are. Do you have them close? They're in, I know they're in, obviously in our courts. But is it under carriers or dispatch? You talking about the uh, log hours, driver hours? Yeah, because I'd like to be able to put that out there because I think it is really important that people are aware yeah, of what no, they're doing. Right. So it's seventy hours in the week. Uh, so it's sixty on duty over seven consecutive days, or seventy hours over eight consecutive days. And once they at that point, they are required to have a thirty four hour reset, which is basically 10 hours plus a day, okay? In a single day, they could be um, driving for a total of 11 hours of drive time out of a period of 14 hours. So like 24 hours in a day, 10 must be sent spent in their like sleeper mode or um, in the basically sleeping, right? And then the other 14 hours, they can drive 11 and they can have breaks for the other three. And there's there are as of like, uh, was it like three or four years ago when the um, e-logs came out? Um, they are mandating, like it'll, it'll. there's break requirements over a certain period of time. Like you have to take a break, a meal break at this point in these hours, right? And your e-logs are going to, you know, it's not a paper log where you can hand jam it and lie if you get a DOT inspection, right? They're literally in a computer system. So it's very, very important. Now, some of these folks have older trucks and they're exempt from this because they're like 20-year-old cabs. But um, this is one-on-one level stuff you got to know. So to reiterate, you can drive 11 hours in a 14-hour window before you need a 10-hour reset, okay? 60 hours in a seven-day period eight, or 70 hours in an eight-day period. Either here's, one required the reset, 34 hours. Here, and here's the two other things I was looking at. Because I know they talked about, um, I, I don't know if it was like continuing the exemption on short haul. The ag one I know just went back into place or they like formally extended it. But from the FMCSA, it's 150 air miles, which means a, as the crow radius. flies. Yep. Yeah. So like not what you drove on the road, but as... Well, as a bird would fly. Um, so in drayage, you can tend to get like some more work done within a normal period because they don't normally drive outside that radius. Um, but normally, like this is going to come into play. And another good rule of thumb that I always kind of keep in mind is based on, and again, it depends on your load. Like if you're driving across, you know, the Midwest, they're going to cover a lot more mileage per hour than they're going to cover, like you know, coming out of Miami or New York. But a good rule of thumb is they cover about 550 miles per day legally. Yep. So when you're rounding out your hour of service, that's a good number to kind of look at on based on whether or not they're going to make it to where you need to legally. Yep. So I want to, uh, so the ag exemption, right? Or that, that radius exemption. It is, it is there to not penalize the people that are not at safety risk, like a mm -hmm. long, like a long haul driver would be. So the 
the driving hours and reset is there because these folks that drive three, four day long trips, um, it's important to make sure that they're not overworking themselves and they have enough time dedicated for sleep and for rest, right? If you're doing something like dredge or if you're in an agricultural exemption where you're just you're moving stuff to a bunch of farms, right? You're gonna have you're gonna have downtime and rest time built into your day because you're doing multiple stops, multiple runs, multiple turns, right? And that is why that exemption is created, so it does not penalize those that are not truly at the same level of risk as the long haul drivers. So good stuff there. Um, any final tips on dispatch? Uh, you know, here's what I want to say is if you haven't done it, do this as like a little um, a little activity for you or for your team if you have a team. Is go through, if you don't have a checklist, just write down, hey, what are the things that we want to go through? Because that'll come in handy when you hire somebody new or if somebody makes a mistake and you go back and say, hey, what did they miss? Did we identify that in our list, right? So just go through that as a quick activity. Write down the things that um, you think are important for a checklist when you dispatch. And if we miss something that that skipped our mind, let us know. Shoot us a message. Yeah, and I think, I mean, another easy way to look at this is maybe you don't jump if you have no processes at all to implementing a process on every load, but start in a way that is manageable and that is likely to give you a benefit of a company implementing a rule, right? Because there's always a cost to a rule. And I would say start with the loads that you have the most rejections on. If you're sending trucks and you've got a shipper that has some pretty stringent requirements, that's where I would start with a checklist. Yep. If I'm sending a reefer because it's got very stringent requirements, if I'm sending a flatbed to a job site where there's gonna be cranes and PPE or to a big manufacturing facility that requires a lot of you know equipment when they go in, like steel-toed boots and glasses and helmets and vests, right? Like that's where I would start. And then you will likely see a reward for implementing this. You know, yep. it's a rule, it's gonna take a little more work, but you will likely prevent more problems by implementing this than the time it takes to implement. Yeah, and you um, should have made this clear. You can have a different set of uh, checklist items based on the type of equipment it is or the specific shipper or the specific receiver that it is. It's not always a one-size-fits-all, so that's a good point you brought that up. All right, Q&A. We got two questions here today from our listeners. The first one is, um, how do I keep my pipeline updated? I love this. This is a, if you're thinking that question, you're doing something right when it comes yep. to sales and managing your prospects. So um, I would say the first tip here from my perspective is having a, a good functional CRM that allows you to clearly organize and set tasks for your prospects and your prospecting activity. So um, keeping it updated, I would say that um, you should be making notes or adjustments to a prospect's record if you can, while you're on the phone with them, if not right after you get off the phone with them, so nothing slips your mind, or you write it down and you update the record later. That is a quick and easy way to do that and then set your next follow-up task. Um, if you can just do it while you're while that process is happening and you're not wasting time or getting sidetracked, I'd say that's probably the best way to keep it updated. Um, do you have anything outside the box that I missed or maybe take it from a different perspective here? Yeah, I'd say two things is the main two functions of updating a pipeline are one, adding new contacts, and the other one is simply eliminating contacts that you've spoken to, and this is the important part, enough times that you can trust what they're telling you is true. I would say one of the biggest things we see people new in this industry falling into the habit of is, I talked to this prospect twice, they said they don't need my help, they're not a good fit. 
You have not spoken to them or earned the ability for them to actually tell you the truth yet. If yep. you've spoken to them five or six times, now I'm starting to believe what they're telling me. Now I can possibly eliminate them from whether or not they are qualified to work with us as a brokerage, right? And that criteria is gonna change based on your brokerage, based on the size, and based on where you are in the tenure of your career. I will work with different shippers at the beginning of my career than I'm gonna be willing to work with two, three years later. So that criteria will shift as you grow and change. But the most important aspect is exactly what you pointed out, is where does this information come from? It comes from the conversations. And when is the most likely place for you to get an accurate reflection of what happened in that conversation? Right after you get off the phone. Yep. So right then. keep that up, type it in. It doesn't have to be a dialogue. You're not writing a novel. You're writing simply the most pertinent things you would need to know from the person that spoke to them before. So use abbreviations, use an acronym, yes. shorten it. Pretend you're like texting T9 version, <laughs> you know what I yep. mean? Oh, I still uh, laugh even when I use that, when I use the acronym for FU, follow up, right? I'm like, FU later. It still makes me laugh, but it, like, it's still the same one I use, right? NA, didn't answer, right? Gatekeeper, GK. Like you end up with your own little language. What matters is that you can interpret it later because you don't need somebody else to read it. You're not yep. publishing this in the Associated Press. Like it's just for you. So yep. put what's relevant for you on your next call and just try to update those as soon as you can because if you create a task to do it later, you're likely not to get it and you definitely won't remember what they said and the emotion you had in that call because that's the other important piece that you want in your notes. Hey, is this person happy? Were they frustrated? Is this a good time to call them? That's also an important piece of information in your you know, CRM Absolutely. notes. Absolutely. All right, good. Our next question. Um, <clears throat> this is a good one. I'm in Oklahoma City, and I have six trucks that we run in a short area. We do drive freight and reefer. My question is, when we've run for brokers before, the rate is $500 for a short run, so less than 100 miles. We think that the rate the broker is getting is $1,000 or more. Do you think that's too much of an estimate? Do you think that's what we should solicit for our own brokerage? It's a little bit to unpack here. So they're a small carrier, six trucks, right? Um, they also have a brokerage, and they're getting paid $500 for a short run. That's not unreasonable in my eyes, right? Those short regional runs like that, your dollar per mile is not as important as you know how many run? You know, because what we don't know is—is is this a full day's work? Is they do two in a day? I, you know, so 100 miles. They said um, they can—they might be able to do like a couple of those a day, right? If they're doing an empty bat or they're running back empty, whatever. Um, now they're saying they think the broker's getting a thousand dollars. Is that too high? Should we, you know, use that rate ourselves as we, you know, on our brokerage side? And I sent them a quick response, and I wanted to dive into it here. Um, I highly doubt that a broker is getting over a 50% margin on a short run. And here's why. A lot of those short runs have assets directly contracted with those um, customers, with those shippers, okay? And for a broker to get in on a short run, they're typically not making a whole lot of margin on it. They're just, they have a value add in some of the fall off stuff and overflow and um, business like that. But a, a customer, right, if they can get a truck for $500 directly, they're not going to pay a broker 1200 bucks or $1,000 to go find them one when they could just make a couple more phone calls themselves. Um, so pause there because I want to add to that point. 
And I would say, if you guys, it's worth it for you to run these for $500, and we know that it has been worth it, at least to a point, because you have been doing it. Meaning that you are likely also shopping the market, you pick the best of your options, and then you did it more than once. Which means 500 was a commensurate rate for a truck. Which means there are other trucks willing to do it for that number. So to Nate's point, that shipper also does not only work with brokers. If there are carriers willing to run it, that shipper is trying to contract directly with local people because again, they don't need to find somebody on the other side of the country. They just need people local to them. And if they're not driving that far, they also know what it costs them to pay a trucker directly. The premium yep. they'd be willing to pay a broker to help them with that is likely not twice the cost because yep the market's pretty efficient. It's very unlikely that that's playing out that way. So I'll give you a real world example. It's less mileage, but had a had a customer, we did a little warehousing for them and they would do some cross town moves, basically like, hey, our storage facility is full. We need to move, um, you know, like six or eight skids or pallets from our facility to your warehouse. It was like, you know, maybe 20 miles, right? Um, and we did long haul brokerage for them, but when it came to the short stuff and they used our warehouse that we had on, on site, they didn't run it through us as a broker. They just hired a local cartage company or like a, a, a box truck company directly. Um, and they paid like the hundred bucks or whatever it was to get it moved or 150 bucks. There is not enough meat on the bone for a broker to go in there, hire somebody and still make enough dollar amount profit for it to be worth it for you to do that transaction. That's why when I say, short runs that are regional, especially when they're like same city or you know city to suburb type thing, there's just not enough meat on the bone and there's enough local smaller um, asset-based companies that they can schedule on the fly as needed um, to do that stuff. Now, 100 miles is a little bit longer, right? You can't just call someone up and they'll be like, yeah, I'll have someone there in an hour, right? It might be um, they can do it this afternoon, right? Or tomorrow morning, but um, yeah. <coughs> I wouldn't expect, um, I would not expect you to be making half of what the broker is on a hundred mile lane and, like that. And I'll give you the others. I mean, I did a lot of this work. I did it with steel and I did it in like the tri-state area of Tennessee, Alabama, and Texas. Um, and then way, way, way on the west side of the state, right, where the states intersect, right, a lot of that steel comes out of some of the big steel manufacturers and runs on short runs like this. So as a broker, what it was like from a practical standpoint, like what my book looked like, was I would call local carriers and say, hey, I have this work from the local steel companies. And they would say, this is what they're paying local drivers. And then I would try to figure out how quickly they could load and how quickly they could unload. And then I would figure out the time it actually took with the transportation the loading and the unloading and go, okay, how many of these can we do in a day? And if we could get two or three, because in some cases you could get two or three in some, you can only get one or two. And then I would go back to the carriers and go, how much do you need to make in a day? And these, this was like 2019. So two, three years ago, but they needed to make 1250 a day. And I'm like, okay, well, if I can get you three of these and I can, I can push my shipper to load faster and my receiver to unload faster and I can get you moving at three a day, is that worth your time? Yeah, it's worth my time, Ben. So then I negotiate down a little bit, give him a little more volume because what does the carrier want? 
predictability. The same thing every day. All right, well, here's three today, here's three tomorrow, and here's three for the next, every consecutive day for every driver you wanna run on my loop. And now I'm basically running it like a public transportation system. You guys know what you're doing. You get up and go to work every day. My job is to now put pressure on the shipper and the receiver to get your guys and to keep them moving because they're not getting paid while they're waiting to load and unload. They get paid when their wheels are moving. So if you can eliminate those times, you can maximize, to your point, the amount of trips you can do in a day, and now all of a sudden it becomes valuable. But it's very unlikely a broker is just taking, you know, 100% off the top, sending one load out and making twice the amount of money. Yep. It's a good question, though. It's worth examining. And I think another another takeaway here is um, if you are a, a small carrier that has entered into the brokerage world, there is a little bit of a learning curve, right? Not everything is just as you think it is, right? It's not just as simple as, oh, you know, I'm going to go do this directly, cut out the other broker and do it myself and make all this money. There's a lot of relationships to build. There's trust that has to be established. Um, you've got you've to truly understand the market fluctuation as a broker, right? Because as a, as a carrier, you just say, you, you pretty much are the market, right? Uh, right? You're part of them. You're one piece of the market. But um, when you're no longer controlling your own trucks and you have to rely on other motor carriers to provide service through your brokerage to a certain customer, right? You don't get to say, hey, this is paying X amount, right? Because you don't know your priorities and what's important to you location-wise and time-wise for your drivers is different than that next carrier over. So... Yep. A little bit of a learning curve. It's good, though. It's a good question to ask, and um, good luck as it, you get the brokerage part started. It does, and I think it like really hashes out a lot of things that people assume that somebody else is always taking advantage, right? But there is an open market for everybody and every piece of the market, whether you're a carrier or a broker. No carrier is operating with impunity where other carriers are willing to do it for less or more. It's about the same. It's the same with a broker. Brokers aren't calling a shipper and all of a sudden that shipper's just willing to give one broker all the money in the world when it only costs half to get the work performed. They're yep. gonna give them work based on what they know it costs to get it. And to be honest, like everybody's pretty informed and nobody's really an idiot, let's be honest. Like shippers know what it costs, brokers know what it costs, carriers know what they're willing to do it for and they know what their competitors are willing to do it for. That's what makes the market up. That's it. Good episode, man. Good questions, keep them coming. Um, a lot of people have been using the link in our, our newsletter. Keep using that or just go right to the website, faith360.net, and hit the contact form. Um, you got any final words here, Ben? Shout out to friends and family again in Ukraine. And whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bill. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week.